just because no. you can do something doesn't mean you're not using a compensatory strategy. So, you know, all the narrows that are, that are all two of them that are still watching this, I know you can deadlift. That doesn't mean you're not doing it with a, without a compensatory strategy. Welcome to Reconsider. I'm Bill Hartman. This is the podcast to challenge you to ask better questions, to look beyond traditional models of thinking and arrive at better health and fitness solutions. Yeah, we could talk about exercise selection and how archetypes and configurations drive that. That that will lead us to the the wonderful conversation of like maybe na your narrowest of narrows should never deadlift. And people are like, oh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> but everyone must trap bar deadlift. <clears throat> Where did these rules come from? Football that, strength coaches probably. How's that happen? The old fund foundation of strength and conditioning. All these football lifting, power lifting background folks got to balance the pushes and the pulls. You got to squat and hinge. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, categorization and stuff like that. A lot of it comes from like Ian King, I believe. I believe that that's the first time I saw anything that was like the, the to the push best of my thing. knowledge from my like trying to be more of a strength and conditioning historian at one point in my life, that seemed to be the guy that started talking about it. I'm sure he adapted it from somebody, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's like someone had to come up with some type of categorization for things to do boxes to check. And that's, these seem to be things I think it, Mel talks about the stuff too, right? I don't know if, it, I don't know if he framed it the same way. Yeah, but the the whole idea of okay, so are we gonna we're gonna try to shake up the whole the whole model of like squat, hinge, push, pull? Well, what if you're not designed for those? Yeah, well, there's the there's that's the thing we're asking you to reconsider. Reconsider that maybe your structure would uh, disallow you certain activities. Yeah. Like you just can't, many, you can't. How many shot putters are great high jumpers? Yeah, that's very true. And it's yeah. like, oh, but, and then there's always the contrarians that'll say like, oh, well, I'm really narrow and I, I deadlift great. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> or is it like just, maybe you have, is it just your long... opinion? It feels fine. Yeah. Right? It feels fine. Okay. Then continue. It's, it's like, I'm okay with that. Just like it might not be from a long term perspective, like most people, most people don't project far enough into the future to, to determine whether anything is going to be detrimental or not. Yeah. So let's let's take like a constraints led approach to exercise selection. Let's say that and we'll kind of piggyback off of the programming thing. So we'll talk about like narrows versus wides. What are the things that we've talked a lot about what each is good at? Mm -hmm. but maybe not from like an exercise perspective. So maybe we should start with the narrows. We'll talk about the spaces that they can occupy easily okay. with relative motions. We'll talk about like what's not available to them and then we'll do wides as well. Uh-huh. So we let's start that. with narrows. Start with narrows as far as their bias is concerned. Yeah. Let's talk about the bias. Let's talk about like what, what things might be on the, the no, no list for a narrow. Given a context, well, the, it, from an absolute standpoint, 
I don't know if you can say no, absolutely. You're just going to have tendencies to be really good at certain things. You're going to be a better probabilities. Yeah. So, so we, we, we have to understand exercises and then we have to understand structure. Okay. Like there are certain points in exercise that have a bias towards external rotation. There's a certain point where they have a bias towards internal rotation. When you look at a squat, um, a certain type of squat. So let's use. It's not an arc. <laughs> let me let me just let me just lay that out for everybody watching this. If, so if, Bill, you, if you have presented, if you've been presented with that concept from anybody, they don't is know wrong. what they're talking about. They it don't know wrong. what they're talking about. It, it might be useful to understand some parts of what we're talking about. Misinterpretation. It is a but gross it is a very and and it happened at one of the intensives. It did. It did. It's it did. it's so Bill Bill created. It was cancerous. Sort of, it was cancerous. Like within a week. Bill creates these sort of like uh, nightmares for himself <laughs> by by putting little like putting little seeds of thought in people's head and creating these like these little mimetic <sighs> problems throughout the you, industry. You, 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 it's like when you draw when you draw something on a whiteboard, you have to draw it in two dimensions, and then yeah. that was the, and that was the interpretation that was taken away. People see, so let's, see things. People see things through the lens that they choose. Let's then, definitively. Let's definit <laughs> let's nip this in the butt right here. Why Absolutely. is it not an arc of I ER to IR to ER? Because it's a series of turns. And so if it's a series of turns, it can't be a straight plane. If it can't be a straight plane, then it wouldn't be an arc. Because it's, it's ER to IR it's, to it's, ER. It's, it's helical. It's helical movement on which creates a rotation, and that's what you right. got to understand. It's like the minute you start looking at things in straight planes, you're going to fail because now where do the, the straight planes disappear during as you move? The, you don't want to if you're behaving in straight planes, you have a problem. You're probably talking to me in my clinical office, or you're talking to another health professional because you you are you are stuck and you are attempting to move in some way, shape or form. And the only thing you've got is a, is a straight line to move in. And that's not good. And that's not good. Cause that's where there's a lot of load pressure and tension that's going to result in something that you don't. Okay. Or at minimum is going to be a limitation in your movement. Um, and whether you're aware of it or not. Okay. Right. So can we, let's, let's move on. So, okay. We have to consider, so, so constraints define what is possible. So we have environmental constraints, we have task constraints, so the task itself, and then we have organismic constraints. And so those, so the organismic constraints are your physical structure. And let's, I love using the Olympics as the best example because everything is categorized automatically. You have the highest level of performance in very specific arenas. And to, to perform at, at the, the peak of, of, Output in certain contexts, you have to have a certain physical structure. All swimmers tend to look the same in the Olympics. All the milers tend to look the same. All the high jumpers tend to look the same. All the shot putters tend to look the same. There are exceptions to the rules, okay? But but then but the, those exceptions prove the rule um, under under most cases. And so, you know, that's why you, you like you look at a decathlete who is 
they would argue that say he's the world's greatest athlete. And I would say he's the most average athlete because he can do so many things. He doesn't do anything great. He might have one thing that sort of stands out um, because of a bias, but generally speaking, it's like some of their, some of their performances are, are not exceptional. They just combine a lot of, a lot of broad uh, capabilities. And then you look at their physical structures and they're kind of middle of the road. And so you'll get some guys that look a little bit more like a sprinter, some guys that look a little bit more like a pole vaulter and, and so on and so forth. And then they stand out a little bit in, in that, um, in that event. But generally speaking, they're, they're kind of like this middle of the road structure, right? Yeah. And you then, don't tend to have a lot of world record holders that are decathletes in any individual event, right? No. So my best javelin throw in college would have come in 12th place in the decathlon at the last Olympics. And, and not a great javelin throw. Yeah. Okay? Jack of all okay. trades, master of none, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, so th th this is why we, we need to talk about structural bias, but because of that structural bias, you're going to perform well in certain, certain ways. And then we go into the gym and then we have to take that into consideration as well. And so we, we talk about, about the, the narrow helical archetype and they're going to do certain things better um, in, in certain ways. Let's go back to the squat example. So if we talk about like your typical deep squat kind of a representation, if you had a bar on your back, this would be like a high bar Olympic style squat, right? Something that where the, where the, Axial skeleton is more vertical. There's a lot more joint range of motion. So this is not a powerlifting style squat. That the vertical type of squat, this high bar squat, has a stronger ER bias within it. So there's more ER at the top of the squat, there's more ER at the bottom of the squat, and the middle range is smaller as far as where the greatest amount of pressure will be applied, the greatest representation of internal rotation will be applied. It's a smaller range. So the sticking point in that squat is smaller than the sticking point in, say, a powerlifting squat, which would have a much larger sticking point to it. Okay. And so if, if that is the case, then if we, and let's use the extreme representations so, so we can be clear about this, the more I'm biased towards that, that narrow eye, I say, I'm going to be a better squatter in, in, that, in that manner. Where, where anything that's going to have the ER bias, I'm going to be better at it. My, my deep squat will be um, prettier under most circumstances by most people's standards. I will be more capable in, in that representation. And if you move me into a powerlifting squat, can I do one? Yes, I can, but chances are it will not be nearly as effective for me um, as, as a more upright version of that, assuming assuming that I, I don't have the compensatory strategies that would naturally interfere with my ability to access those spaces. So this is the fact that I have a bias in my structure towards external rotation. I have a limited amount of internal rotation available. Therefore, I will self-select a certain type of behavior that I will be um, more effective at to end right. a sentence in a preposition. Okay. So your narrows have more of an ER bias. They have, they have a, they have a position of the pelvis that allows the guts to drop straight down. It's actually straight up. We need to clarify that just a little bit. Okay. Technically, let's clarify. technically it's forward in regards down and to forward. the orientation. It, and it, it, um, that's the direction that they can go because they start 
in a different position. And so they can go, but it, but it's actually a, it's actually a more forward representation. The perception, because if you're looking at a, a bilateral symmetrical activity, like a squat, mm-hmm. it appears that we're going straight down, but the reality is, is you're going forward. The, the gut. So it's just thinking of the, the sacrum on the backside of the pelvis is sort of like a mm-hmm. slide. So things go down yeah, really easily, nice, but then that's they kind of a end, nice way to look at it. They end up yeah. forwards. Yeah. So that's, down, that's kind of a nice way to use it. Yeah. Down becomes the easy is easy. Initially, the bottom of squat is, is difficult for m- many people wide and narrow, but that mm-hmm. is because the, the, everything has to go forward. And if I have a, if I have a pelvis that's kind of fault has a faulty position to it, I'm not going to be able to do that. Right. If I, if, so if I layer compensatory strategies on top of an axial skeleton, I have, I have limited the, the capacity for expansion that I would need to move in a direction. Yeah. And, so, and, and if, if that's influencing the shape of the, of the pelvic outlet, these are the people that won't be able to squat without a compensation. Yeah, let me give a for instance based on what I said earlier. So if I have mm-hmm. a narrow who is typically the, the ease of motion to go straight down to start is is typically mm-hmm. easier. But if I compress them from front to back and then I anteriorly orient the pelvis, all of a sudden it seems like hinging is easier for that person because that's the only place that they can actually catch stuff is that way. Un, but unfortunately, they don't have the posterior outlet shape to allow that position to actually yeah, occur. So their ability again, close. because this is an interle- this is an internally rotated representation to begin with, which they're not great at because of their their structural bias. You throw a compensatory strategy on top of that, and you have just magnified their deficit. So they have a I much like smaller should. and smaller space to access internal rotation. So Bill's talking about more of this representation for yeah you just close that space narrow and then so this is if this is the starting position for a narrow then you can see how like they're so in order to hinge well i have to be able to open this space and just yeah structurally speaking they don't have it ability to do that yeah yeah so this is more this is more of what a wide looks like Right. The simple rule is you move in the direction of expansion. So, so for me to actually stop, stop the forward motion, to stop the forward motion, which is what the so-called hinging activities are, okay? For me to do that, I have to be able to expand in the posterior aspect of, so the posterior outlet, the posterior aspect of the pelvis, um, and then um, reduce the ability of the anterior outlet to move forward. It's real simple. Yeah. So I have to be able to sort of flip flop the the orientation of the musculature there. And if you can't do that because of compensations, guess what? You start to descend. Even if you're an narrow ISA, you start to descend and you stop well before you even get to what would be thighs parallel to the floor in a squat. And where where you typically end up stopping is usually above the pelvis and somewhere L4, L5, S1, all that lumbar area has to do mm-hmm. something. To try to compensate. Well, okay. So if you look at it this way, if I can't counter nutate the sacrum, I'm going to counter nutate something else. Yeah. And then to whatever degree you can do that. And so now you have to say, well, if I can't do that because of the compensatory strategies, once again, these are the people that they say, but I'm a narrow bill and I can't squat below parallel. It's like, yes, you have enough compensatory action that you do not have a delay strategy available to you to access the spaces that you need, right? Or to access the, the spaces where the yield would be required. 
And so you just don't, right. you don't have that capacity. So once the, we the, restore, yeah. sorry, once we restore early representations, this is where you start to see the people that initially can't squat to any measure of depth. And then they do gain depth by being able to access the, the ER position with the yielding action of the connector tissue behavior, which is in the deep squat. Right. And that's squatting, you know, being like in an ER position at the top of the squat, passing through the internal rotation position of the middle of the squat, and then getting back into an ER position at the bottom. <clears throat> which are turns. Yes, turning. Which are you can see that you can see that the turning happening with my hands. Right. These are turns. There's there's but see the, what, see the, what ends up happening as a result with this, it looks like it's a straight plane motion, <laughs> but it's not. It's not. It's but not it's not. It's not even close. It's not even close. It's not even close. Yeah. yeah. So okay. Hopefully we're not confusing everyone so far. I'll just keep it's trying right. to use this. It's all right. We'll 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 have we'll have the the people that will hate and complain, just like every, you know, so anytime, uh anytime you're trying to be contrary. We've talked about the shapes of, uh, we've talked about the bias of a narrow, the shapes mm -hmm. that they can attain, the paths of movement for them are going to be narrower, mm -hmm. steeper. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. example of a golfer is going to have a much steeper swing. They're not going to hockey swing it. They're not going to go wide because it doesn't. The, well, the, you hope they don't. You hope they don't. If they right? do, those are typically your, my neck hurts, my back hurts, my elbow hurts. Those are your, those right. are your folks. Um, and, the, and unfortunately, and a lot of golfers are actually trying to shove narrows into wide swings, which is crazy to me. Well, it all depends on what the hot swing is of the day. So whoever who's playing well, that sort of represents, oh, this now becomes the the optimum to chase. And and yeah. that's unfortunate. The the best the best the best um teaching pros are those that understand a little bit about physiology or a lot of bit about physiology. There's there's actually some guys that are actually really good and they understand the structural influences. They don't understand the same way that we do, but they do understand that there's differences that are going to change the the plane of the swing, right? And and those are the guys that that you you want to try to follow versus the the hot topic of the month kind of a guy. Yeah. So let's we're still talking about narrows. Mm -hmm. We talked about like structurally what the bias is. Let's talk specifically about like people that have certain models in their mind of like movement versus like training, like the movement stuff that people do as a, as part of their like physical education, physical culture practice. And then there's like mm -hmm. the training aspects of things. So it's like the, the narrows are going to typically be like better at, Range, capturing ranges of motion. So they're going to be better at like yoga, for instance, or maybe mm -hmm. dancing because they can get into and out of positions with more ease because they have more ER available. Okay. That's, there's, there's the important part right there. Okay. Yeah. Most, most of what is represented as an extreme of, of movement capability, gymnasts, dancers, um, the extremes in yoga, um, anything that falls into into that realm where yeah. the so-called flexibility is of, of higher demand, these are these are extremes of ER, not internal rotation, because internal rotation is a small spot on the ground. It's a, it's a very small, compressed, high pressure area. The greater your capability for external rotation, is where you will see these these things demonstrated. These are actually and movements it, away from midline.
they're, they're another, they don't look that way. They don't look that way, but you got to slow these things down. You capture like, like all you got to do is run through, uh, go to, go mm -hmm. to, uh, Dr. Google and go to images and then just look at, look at gymnastics, um, in still frame. And, and you will start to see how these, these, um, um, movements are actually, uh, captured it, and cause it, it, it's all extremes of ER. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, and it's like that, that advice that people who are really good at yoga will just try to get all of their friends whose back starts to do yoga. But it's like, if you're a really, right. if you're a narrow, if you're a narrow beanpole and you're trying to tell your friend who used to be a, a running back for a college football team that he needs to do yoga, right. That might make his back pain worse. Um, uh, absolutely. Cause absolutely. he can't, he's never, you're, you're he's never going to be able to. Yeah. You're doing things against your structure. Yeah, he's probably never, he is never going to be able to put a very wide individual is never going to be able to get into a down dog position where his arms are straight overhead without some type of compensatory bend somewhere. Yeah. And that there's, there's most of the time, that's a reaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most of the time that's yeah. going to come from his low back, especially if that's where he currently has his pain. Um, okay. Just because so, you can do something, hang on. Just because no. you can do something doesn't mean you're not using a compensatory strategy. So, you know, all the narrows that are, that are all two of them that are still watching this, I know you can deadlift. That doesn't mean you're not doing it with a, without a compensatory strategy. Right. And, and that's like, oh, but I can RDL. Yes, you, you most likely can, but you're not doing it without a compensatory strategy. If you are towards the extreme end of the narrows, it would be much more obvious. Right. It doesn't mean you can't do a so-called hinging activity, but I got news for you. Your like your sacral position won't allow you to be as effective as somebody that would have the uh, the opposing bias of structure. You're just yeah, not no. designed for it. You're just not designed right. for it. And that doesn't make you a bad person. It just means that if you if you if you want to train more safely, more safely, you're not willing to, to compromise, then you have to understand a little bit about your structural bias. That's all. Right. And then try to match that. So yeah. when we're, we're talking about like, now we should talk about like from an exercise and training perspective, what are the things that I'm going to necessarily not want to do as a narrow or what are the things that I have more, I have a higher probability of failure of doing. And we've talked about like hinging is probably not going to be like the thing that there are ways to hinge that are squattier. And that's typically what we would use. It's just a mm -hmm. type of squat on a different vector, basically. But it's going to yeah, require a more it, like... And it's it's still not necessarily great because there, there's going to be other structural elements like the, the axial configuration. Um, so uh, if you're a long, tall Sally, you got really long torso. You're going you're gonna to probably be able to squat very upright. And then you're going to find out that your deadlift not so great, and then you're gonna you're gonna go. But I could trap bar deadlift. Okay, I'm all right with that up to a point, depending on on your needs, because we're going to run into a second problem with that. So the position that you can achieve with a with a uh, the trap bar deadlift is much more upright and, and much more appropriate for a, a narrow configuration or a, a narrow ISA um, with a, with a very long um, vertical configuration. It's a more However, open, open turning space. Yeah. However, 
We have to understand something about narrow ISAs, generally speaking. Because of that bias, they're also not great at producing pressure upward from the, the pelvic outlet. So there's, there's always two pressures. There's, there's the, the ground pushing up and you pushing into the ground. And then you magnify the, the demands by putting weight in your hands. And if you want to stand up with a heavy weight from the floor, like a trap bar deadlift, the, the outlet of the pelvis, the anterior outlet of the pelvis has to be able to push upward. It has to become concentrically oriented. Your bias by structure as a narrow ISA is that it will be ER oriented and it will be um, much easier for you to, to uh, by, by perspective, descend it. Again, it's not really a dissension. It's more of like an anterior movement, but who's, who's counting? Okay. Right. Right. Now, if that's the case and you think about, well, I have to be able to create a high pressure strategy to lift the weight. So I have to squeeze from the outside and I have to squeeze up. The heavier the weight gets, the more I got to rely on the squeeze on the outside of the body to create the internal pressure that allows me to push upward. So if I can hold the position of the outlet and squeeze harder on the outside front to back, I can still lift more weight. But that's going to start to alter the 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 general shape of the axial skeleton. I'm going to become flatter front to back. I'm going to spread out sideways. If I'm a rotational athlete, like a tennis player, golfer, baseball player, it's going to take away my ability to turn. It's also going to prolong the duration that I apply force to the ground under almost every circumstance. So if I'm trying to run really, really fast, so if I'm at top speed and that's a very short high force ground contact, if I increase that ground contact time, I actually slow down. So now we're running into situations that if we're not aware of this fact, then you you take somebody that is very capable of increasing the amount of um, weight that they can lift, but have increased the duration of the impulse into the ground. And then that technically slows them down, which is what we don't want to do with, with a lot of athletes. If you're just a gym guy, it's probably not going to make a diddly squatted difference if you're not concerned about how well you can leave the ground or how fast you are in the rain, you know, when you're trying to get out of the rain. Um, yeah, you probably won't care. Might yet. be a consideration for longevity of training. Oh, it's like, like I said, that's, that's why I threw the yet in at the end of my statement. Yeah. It's like, well, guess what? You're going to start to lose shoulder range of motion. You're going to start to lose neck range of motion. You're going to impact your ability to oxygenate, which means that you're going to, you're going to rely on short-term energy systems from a long-term perspective. So there's, there's a whole lot of, again, um, ch decrements that can accumulate over time by chasing the extreme of force production against your, your archetype. Right. And, you know, that's part of the reason why, like, we created the recon program. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. Like, it, it stands to reason that it's like, oh, if you just recognize a few things, you just recognize a few things about yourself. It's like, oh, the programs would be different. And they are. Yeah. Yeah. And certain exercises are not. And certain exercises that you might traditionally use in gym training might not be included in your program just because it doesn't make that's a correct. lot of sense for you. There's that whole risk versus reward thing, trying to trying to jam a square peg into a round hole never really works out. We have we created enough disappointment in all those fine folks that are narrow. Uh, I mean, we're almost like we're just going to keep talking about narrows because we're like almost thirty minutes into talking about it, okay. and then we'll do a right. we'll do a wide one on it we'll at do a, a wide different one. time. So that the you said something I wanted to circle back to, which was uh -huh. like 
talking about impulse, longer impulse on the ground, spending too much time on the ground in the world of sport, athleticism is bouncy. Like you hear that all the time. It's like guys who have bounce, like those, that's what you're looking to do. It's not about the amount of time you can spend pushing on the ground. That would be more like if I want to squat a thousand pounds, I have to be very good at pushing on the ground for a long time. Right. For a long period. If I, yeah. yeah. If I want to be able to change direction, run 30 yards, jump to, you know, 11 feet like that, that's going to require this ability to like stay bouncy and keep that sort of impulse, which is, you know, which will be taken away from as a narrow, mm-hmm. if I do these long compressive uh, bilateral, spending a lot of time on the ground movements. Yeah. The example that I, I tend to fall back on is you take you take two guys w- with an equivalent vertical jump. So let's just say that both guys can jump 32 inches off the ground in their vertical jump. One guy um, can clear the ground 0.4 seconds faster than the other guy because the other guy needs more time to push into the ground to actually reach this 32 inch level. The other guy's much quicker. So if they were both going after the same rebound and they had the same height and the same arm length and everything being equivalent, the guy that gets off the ground faster wins. And that's kind of what we're talking about from a comparative standpoint. It's like both guys, like you look at, you look at on paper, they go, wow, they both have 32 inch vertical jumps, but if we don't understand the amount of time that's been applied to the ground, it's like, we got a guy, we might pick the guy that's actually slower, even though he can still reach, reach that level, he's a slower human being. And so we will find that, that the, the person that leaves the ground faster has the so-called higher level of performance when they're in context. Right. So we've kind of touched on, you want to be able to preserve a narrow's ability to turn Yep. So we have to keep on the more open side. So there's like more open turns and more closed turns. So we need to be more, we need to bias ourselves more towards the open turns. So in order to do that, things will happen, will need to happen, um, you know, in a more of a squatty sense, more of a mm-hmm. split sort of staggered sense. Um, and then we also have to consider like the uh, center of gravity as well, but I don't want to talk too much about lower body stuff since we did that. But like, what are now we've talked about like the lower body considerations for narrow. What are some of like the big upper? It's like, what are the movements and available spaces for a narrow when it comes to like the upper half of their body? And then what are exercises that would be good or bad, not so, good or bad, better or worse. So com- compare, compare the amount of so we don't want to we don't want to compress too much from an anterior posterior representation that's the big theft of rotation like the more i squeeze you front to back you spread out sideways and if you spread out sideways you turn slower and to a lesser degree okay that's 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 just simple structural influence so if i lay you on your back on a bench and I put a bar above you and I press you down into the, into the bench. So if I'm doing a bench press, it would be much easier for me to squeeze you front to back than if I were to do something else that would, that would be upright on your feet and reliant on you creating the upward, upward pressure. So a, a more, for lack of a better term, vertically oriented type of a pressing activity 
it would behoove you to bias your programming towards that to help you maintain the ability for you to create the upward pressure against the resistance. Right. Okay. So there's the pressure component of that. And then there's also the actual angles. Correct. The angles it, available. Correct. Yeah. So, so your, your greatest excursion of movement is closer to your helical angle. It's like, like the, your, your greatest excursion is actually on it. If I have a more vertically oriented helix, it would behoove me to press in that relative direction. So, right. so it, again, let's use the extremes as the representation. So the more vertically oriented, like narrow ISA, um, helical orientation, they're going to be better at, at something that would be closer to what would be perceived as an overhead press versus a supine bench presser. No, I'll try to find against. Right. I'll try to find some pictures of like someone doing overhead kettlebell that's narrow versus overhead kettlebell that's wide. And you'll be able to see the difference between like a vertical position or like the, the wide. So there's, so when you, when you look at, uh, if you look at some of the strongman competitions and you look at the, sh like there, there's, there's some great archetypes in there because you'll see the configurations in the actual skeleton where yeah. you'll have somebody that's like shorter and wider and then somebody that's, that's, that's taller. And, and the taller guys tend to do really, really well with, because a strongman has a lot of overhead pressing in it. Um, and then you'll see a, like a lesser compensatory strategy in some of the taller, um, the taller lifters compared to the shorter guys. It's not that the shorter guys can't get weight up overhead, but the way that they're going to do it is going to be radically different. And you yeah. can see that you can see the difference. And so that might be that might be really, really helpful too. Okay, yeah. I'll throw like the log pressing. Because you'll be able to see a wide, a wide barrel guy like an, an Eddie Hall is gonna have to lean back to press overhead. Right. A Brian Shaw is gonna be more avail available. He's gonna have more available space directly overhead. Although I'd say both of those guys are pretty wide. Brian's just taller. So Phil, Brian's Phil kind Pister? of like Phil yeah. Fister, and, and then who's the guy from Finland from way back? Not way uh, back, but for me, it was like 10 years ago. I can't think of his name. I don't know. I think the, the, yeah. the, 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 Finns, had, the Finns had some great, great strong men. They all but, seem but they like taller. wides. They're tall. They all seem like but, wides, yeah. except some of them are just like stretched out wides from top to bottom because they're tall. <sighs> what, but yeah, but, but what we're talking about here is the configuration. Yeah. The configurational yeah, yeah. Okay. influence, right? Right. Yeah. So. I would take a look at that. Okay. So to circle back, vertical vertical pressing, things that are more along the helical angle, like your, you know, mm -hmm. landmine pressing as well is like very exactly. good thing to be able to to do. It's right on the That's line. Right. It feels it's the reason why it feels good on people's shoulders. There's not a magic. There's no magic yeah, to it. It's like it's it just on the helix. lines up yeah. with their helix. Exactly. That's when exactly. it's like things things that in shoulder rehab when they talk about like the plane of the scapula it's like yeah, yeah that's a comfortable position because it's on the <laughs> helical angle so hopefully Correct. like people that are still actually watching <laughs> this are like oh okay yeah so so hang on so what you're saying chris is that if i move from the helical the helical angle to a straight plane that's why my shoulder hurts and then i move it forward onto the helix and it doesn't hurt so that impingement goes away as long as i stay in the plane of the scapula Okay, yeah. I get it. How as long as that? I stay on the angles that ex that exist, there's actually for me to reasoning move. to this, huh? Right. So that That's those really cool. vertical vertical angles are, are more available to me as a narrow, 
if I'm, I'm going to compress when I'm off of those angles. So a good example would be like a very heavy bench press, which is straight plane, very wide angle. Okay. That's it's just in why conflict with it. it's conflict. It's in, it's, we got to be careful when we say something about a straight plane, it appears to be a straight plane. Cause you're looking well, at also bench hard. pressing. <laughs> well, but my, my point is, gotta be is, careful is, is about it doesn't that. have a lot of turn. It doesn't have a lot of turn. It still has ER and IR on it because you wouldn't be able to move, but it's a lot less. Right? Like you're, right. you're, you're way off the heel going under those circumstances. That's, that's, <clears> but the, to, to their, to their credit. And I'm, I, I was talking about Louis Simmons this morning on the, on the coffee and coaches call. Um, like, like he did some, some brilliant things. And one of the things that, 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 they're kind of known for was the the extremity position relative to the to the torso as far as bench pressing so that not moving the elbows so far away from the so far away from the the sides and what they were actually doing with their their lifters is they were actually lifting closer to their heel angle where they actually had a space that they could move the bar because a lot of these guys just they just lose so much motion over time yeah that they find out that the only place that they can lift number one is on the heel angle number two the only place they can lift comfortably is on their helicoin. And that's why they self-selected, like they self-selected those. They're like, it's not reasoning to be a better bench press. It's like reasoning, like when I when I train so hard and heavy that my bench press does go up to the significant degree, that's where I'm gonna be most effective. It's like, right. you, you don't have any choices at that point. Yeah, it's like the, the straight bar becomes like the slightly bent bar becomes the neutral grip bar, <laughs> becomes the reverse grip. On the so bench yeah, press. like Anthony, watch watch the bench press of Anthony Clark back in the day. It's like it's like he could not even like the only way that he could get on his helical angle was to reverse grip because he was so big, so gigantic, and so compressed. It's like it just made sense for him to do it that way. And everybody thought like, oh, it must be better for, for to to bench press. Like, like no, Anthony Clark just figured out the best way for him to do it based on the, his limitations. Right, yeah. and that it happened yeah. to be the thing that felt the best was what happened to be on. Closer to yeah. the helical angle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so cool. the, the, you're going to be better at things that happen in a more vertical, there's more verticality to your movement Correct. availability and where yes. you can actually like transmit force to it's like the paths at which force can actually kind of go right. effectively. Force I mean, obviously greater, you can move. Force is greater. In internal rotation. As a narrow ISA, I have a much smaller space for me to perform in internal rotation. It stands to reason that that has to be closer to the center of my base of support. It makes sense that it has to be on my helical angle for, for best force production with the least compensatory strategy. That's why. It's like you don't have a choice. Like, you're, like your mom and dad decided what type of a person you were going to be from a structural standpoint. You can influence to a very small degree, but but chances are you're going to find out what you're better at. Reconsider is sponsored by Substance Nutrition. Go to substancenutrition.com. Get your neuro coffee, better coffee, better brain, and synthesis, better protein, better body. Enter the coupon code RECON, R-E-C-O-N, and get free shipping on all of your orders. <laughs>